to the word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We bless you and we honor you. We declare that you are a good, good father. And Lord, we thank you that you have said that anytime we see, hear, and understand your word, that we would be converted. And so we declare that today is the day of conversion. We thank you for being, for the power to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. We thank you that we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word. And that after we have heard the word, we will never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, so I'm going to be talking to you about something real simple. It's God loves you. It's simple, but it's extremely complicated. And so I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how um, perception is reality. And whoever introduces somebody to you first shapes a lot of how you perceive them. So a really good example is that my boys... um, have all these little girls who come see them. And these little girls think I'm mean. That's because they don't know me. But it's interesting that the people that I engage with the most, the, the teenagers I engage with the most, don't think I'm mean. Because your perception of me may not actually be the reality of who I am. But if you decide that I'm mean, then every single thing that I say to you you think it's being mean. So here's an example. I come home one day, and there is a girl who's parked the wrong way on the street. Well, I just want her to turn her car around because I know that on our street, the police will give you tickets for being parked the wrong way. She is so afraid to come outside that she bring her two other friends, and they get in their car and just leave. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to give you an instruction. There are other kids on the street, I could be like, hey, come here. And they come because they know I'm not going to hurt them. So my, my challenge to you this morning is that just because you know of God don't mean you know him. Because depending on who introduced God to you first may dictate how you feel about God. So, for example, if you grew up in a church that talked about hell a lot, then you have to do a lot of work to not think that God is always mad at you about something. That God is always angry. That God is always out to get you. So I want to throw out something real, real simple to you that you may, may or may not have thought about. It's real simple. If God was out to get you, you be God. Like if God was out to get you, who stops him? If God decided that he wants you because you did something bad, who stops him? So God is clearly not out to get you. In fact, what I want to show you today is that God is for you when you're not for yourself. That God is mindful of you and thinking about you even when you are not thinking about God. And so I think that that's really important. So we're going to start with the foundational scripture that we use for salvation. It's John 3.16. John 3.16. Almost everybody in here probably can quote it by heart. It says, for God... So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we talk about this a lot. So we say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. So my question to you is, what is the belief that keeps you from perishing? For God so loved the world. Now, the preface of that is that we're talking about love, so most people answer that way. Some people actually have the revelation. What many of you would have said had we not had the preface work, what you would have said is that they believe that we believe that Jesus died on the cross. Yeah. 
But if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, but you don't believe in the motivation of why Jesus died on the cross, you still go misunderstand God. So it's very important that we begin, you know, Romans 12 and 2, it tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so what we have to begin to do is to understand that anything that is not shaped and rooted and grounded in God's love is a lie. Like you have to call it for what it is. And so we want to walk through this. So we have to know that God loves us. Say, God loves me. Say it again. Say, God loves me. me. Say, God loves me. me. So now the other challenge in Christianity is that then we begin to try to um, measure Christianity by how well we love other people. And that's a part of it or how well we love God. So we do a lot of work around that. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so like, for example, um, so Chris had to say today, she was like, if you love the Lord, say something, right? Well, what I would propose to you is that as you know the Lord, no one has to say to you, if you love the Lord, say something. Because when you love somebody, nobody has to tell you to tell you that you love them. So what happens sometimes is that then we get into this work where it's like, oh, this is about how much I love God. Never been. It is not about how much you love God. Because then what happens is, is that when people feel like they love God and they did everything right, then something doesn't go their way and they're like, well, I did all this for God. This has never been about what you do for God. Like, let's establish a couple things. Number one, God has no self-esteem issues. Whether you praise him or not, he's still God. Like, if we came in here and we didn't say a word, he is not going to the mirror in heaven going, well, is something wrong with me? I mean, am I pretty enough today? Like, did I? No, God has no self-esteem issues, so praising God does not puff God up. God is real confident and sure in who he is. So what we do is that we have to be careful that all of these things are good. It's good to praise the Lord. Tell your neighbor, say, it's good to praise the Lord. Tell your neighbor, say, it's good to love your neighbor. It's good to love your neighbor. But you can't do those things in an attempt to earn God's love for you. God does not love you more because you shouted and ran around than if you sat and you cried. Or, honestly, if you was in a bad mood and refused to say anything. His love for you is the same. And like religion struggles with that because if God loves us all the same, then that means I'm really not better than you, right? Like, in, like our whole life is about being better than somebody else. I'm going to throw a lot of this in today because you can see when love starts working, it frees you from things. So, like, like one of the things in women is that women are very competitive toward other women. Like, even women who think they woke and enlightened. (laughs) And it's evidenced by something like this. And you... The person said it, he was here, but I'm not talking about you. It was just a great example. So, if you don't say nothing, nobody will know that I'm talking about something you said. There was a girl on a video last week, and she had a really great body. And I don't know her name, but everybody was talking about how dope her body was. But somebody said, a lot of somebody said, oh, she fine, but she funny looking. That is the measure of competitiveness that is born into people who don't understand love. 
deeply inbred in women because women are taught to compete in a very different way than men are taught to compete. This is a parenthetical insert. I'm coming back to the real topic here, okay? Hold on, hold on. I'm going to get you there. Men are taught to compete like this. Let's go play basketball. We go see who wins. Even when you beat me, I'm still amazing. That is why men can have a knockdown drag out on the court and go eat burgers. And then go again. Women are taught that I must be better than you to measure my value. So if I'm not careful, I'm always measuring who's the smartest, who's the prettiest, who's the lightest, who's the finest, who is the whatever. And that's how I measure the worth of my love. So if I translate that mentality in the kingdom, it may not be that I'm the prettiest is that, but I show to read my Bible more than Nietzsche. Man, I am, I, like, I don't, I don't even understand, like, like, how could I still be single, Jen? Because I'm not even fornicating, and Chris is. She, has she engaged? Because that's what competition does. I said Chris because she married. I said Chris because she married. Valley, like, hold on. She, it's just an example, people. It's just an example. <laughs> Not you, not you, not So we know that we're in this place of competition where love isn't fully developed. When I'm measuring what I do or don't have based on what I've done or not done and comparing it to what somebody else has done or not done. So what God wants to do is to deliver us from everything that's not love. I was thinking about this. I don't know if you guys know this, but historically, in lots of cultures, when um, it was a time for women to go and get, for men to find women, right, they would parade the women. So a lot of the competition comes from having been paraded. Think about all of the measurements of things for women. If you look on the cover of magazines for women, it's like, you know, are you pretty enough? Are you sexy enough? Are your abs flat enough? I mean, like, are your breasts high enough? Do you have, are you doing enough to hide your wrinkles? I mean, I mean, have you, are you using your olive oil morning, noon, and night? Are you letting that gray come out? Hide that gray, girl. And so almost every message in the world to a woman is that you yourself are not enough. That is why we so desperately need fathers in the home restoring identity so that girls stop performing. You're taught to perform. It affects guys, too, just in a different way. 
It affects guys with ego. So then when guys actually don't feel like they're the greatest, they won't ask for help. They, they, they'll just sit there and sink. They can't tell nobody. Your marriage falling apart. Your friend got a good marriage. You ain't going to say nothing. We just anything we next thing we know you divorced. It, it, it's bred in men by telling men, little boys, that when they get hurt, that they can't cry. By telling them that they don't have a right to feel how they feel. And then you spend years, oh, come on, please understand this. So you spend years teaching a woman to compete. And you spend years teaching a man to suppress his emotions. And then they get married. And then they get married. And she desperately needs the validation that she is pretty enough and smart enough and good enough. And he has been told not to say anything that's vulnerable. I'm just trying to help us. So it's like, do you love me? Do you care if I leave? Woman, because that's when we want to know. We want to know. Do you care if we leave? If we try to leave, are you coming to get us? That's what women want to know. In any situation that a woman is talking to you about whether you're going to make it, this is all she want to hear. I love you, and if you leave, I am coming to get you. That's all a woman want to hear. Women, is that all you want to hear? Yes. <laughs> women, you should help me because you know it's what you want to hear. That was weak. Women, is that what you want to hear? So then you say, well, you, so you say, do you care if we're together? He say something like, I'm make it. You know, like, I want to be with you, but if we'll, I mean, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Because he has been taught to suppress his vulnerability. When what he really want to say is, I don't want you to leave. But you bred that out of him when he fell down and scraped his knee and you told him he couldn't cry. So what happens is you have these people who are now spiritual beings living an earthly experience with souls that are jacked up. The, the moment you get saved, let me help you. People go, my spirit is vexed. It's not. Your spirit is never vexed. Your spirit is at peace with God. Your spirit has no identity crisis. Your spirit is not intimidated by the devil. Your spirit is not moved by trouble. You know what is? Your soul. And here is the problem. Everywhere you go, there you are. Everywhere you go, there you are. It's the number one reason that when women get out of relationships, the first thing they do to reestablish their value is get in another relationship. The truth of it is, this wasn't really what I was going to be talking about, but this, the Holy Ghost must be in here, like on this. The truth of it is, some of you ain't been alone since eighth grade. 
You done had a boyfriend since eighth grade. You done had somebody validating you, telling you how pretty you are, telling you that you, and the truth of it is, is that you can't stand to be by yourself because when you by yourself, you have to deal with yourself. The reason that men are able to sleep from woman to woman to woman without making commitment, you crush their ability to connect. It's just another conquest. And then you take all these people with all these experiences and they get married <laughs> and they join a church together and they, and they, and they go to work. And then you wonder why people need Paxil. And antidepressant drugs. And why you got to have a glass of wine every day. Because your soul has not yet recognized that you are enough. That you are enough. Like you might need to lose weight. But if you never lose a pound to God, you enough. And to anybody who God sent to you, you enough. <laughs> no, ma'am. No, ma'am. I'm not doing this with you today. Let's go to 1 John 4. We're going to look at it through the New Living Translation. Because now it's just time to do some work with our soul. With our soul. Because one of the things I want you to, to get you to understand, that you can have a correct perspective of your identity in one area and be totally confused about who you are in another area. And so, there are two things you've got to resolve if you're going to live the life that God has for you. Number one, that you're loved. Like, so, I tell my own stories, because if you tell your own stories, then people don't get mad at you, right? Like, when you tell your, now my story may relate to your story, but if I tell your story, you're going to be mad, be like, Pastor, telling my business. Most of these stories come from my life, okay? The truth of it is, is that we all experience something in life. This, this is how it works. From the moment you are conceived, the devil is working on your identity. From the moment you are conceived, because what he understands, you can look at this scripturally. Adam and Eve sin. We know that God loves them in spite of their sin. How do we know this? He knows they sin, but he comes to look for them. He's God Almighty. He already knows that they have eaten the fruit. But he comes and shows up in the space anyway. God presents himself like always. They hide. God is always looking for you, no matter what kind of mess you're in. That's why the Bible says you can make your bed in hell. One of my favorite scriptures, it says not, not somebody put you in hell. You made your bed in hell. He told you not to date him. You made your bed in hell. You lay in there crying 
because it's 4 a.m. and he ain't home. And God is the one who shows up to comfort you. So, Adam and Eve sin. God makes this prophecy. He says, the woman, he says, he says, the woman, your desire is, there's a curse and there's a prophecy. The curse is that now this woman is going to, her desire is going to be for her husband. If you think about that, that is a curse because now what he says is that your identity is going to come from a man under the curse. Where before your identity came from me. So now the curse is going to put you in a place where you're seeking your identity from the wrong place. And some of you say, but you still getting your identity from the wrong place. But then God makes her a promise and he says, this serpent that you've had this trouble with, he go bite your heel, but you go crush his head. God already knows that 4,000 years later, he's going to appear to Mary. And that he is going to offer woman an opportunity to get back in the place that she would have been had Eve not messed up. He says, just like the devil partnered with you to get sin into the world, I'm going to partner with you to get sin out of the world. And then I'm going to give you your place back. Jesus comes, but we know that in everything. So before Moses comes as the deliverer, what does Pharaoh do? He tries to kill anybody who could be the deliverer. Oh, somebody understand what I'm saying. When Jesus is born, what does the enemy try to do? Kill anybody who could be the deliverer. Yes, that's in mass incident, but in your own life, the enemy tries to kill your identity because you are a deliverer. So if your daddy leave your mama when you a baby, the goal is that the rejection would sit on your head. So then you would wonder why you weren't enough. Divorce ain't just about the man and the woman. Divorce is because it leaves a kid wondering why they weren't enough for their parents to work it out. So you got people who have had warfare assaulted on them since they were in the womb. And then someone says one day, if you believe Jesus is the son of God and you would like to accept him, come to the altar. And they say things like this, especially in the black church, because we extra, right? <laughs> come to the altar. <laughs> Listen, I can be honest about my people. We extra. <sighs> come to the altar, Jen. Your hands go look new. Your feet too. <laughs> Not so. <laughs> Not so. Like, you don't come to the altar and your blue jean dress turn black to show that you have encountered God. That's not what happens. But your spirit man becomes alive to God. But the rest of your life is working on your soul. The rest of your life is working on your soul. So then when God puts us in marriages and on jobs, now, let me insert, that's why you shouldn't just take jobs you want. Because God-given jobs are designed to reveal something in you 
marriage reveals something in you. The, the truth of it is, that's why most people who get divorced don't make it. Listen, it's a few percentage of the people who really married the wrong person. Few. Somebody who beats you. Somebody who not sure about their sexuality. Somebody who molests kids. They, they over here, they out, they, they the outliers. But in this group right here, the people who get divorced, what we don't like is how God uses marriage to reveal our insecurities. Because once you have been rejected or once you have, it's like this. Most of us, once we learn that people cannot handle the real us, we learn to dole out however much we think they can manage. I'm telling, I, I know I'm telling the truth. And you learn it. If you can go back to the first words that you remember that injured you, they have a lot to do with your identity. If you can go back to the first words, I remember this like it was yesterday. I was three years old. We were at church. I, it's, it's, all, it's church folks. It's always church folks. It's always church folks. My grandmother had bought me an earring and matching necklace. And you know when you're a little kid, that's a big deal, right? This girl who was older than me, she asked me for the necklace. And I told her that she couldn't have a necklace. And she said, you think you better than we are. I lived a whole lot of my life trying to prove to people that I didn't think I was better than they were. Those words stuck with me. It might have been that you weren't smart enough in school. It might have been your skin color. It might have been for some of you, somebody said somebody was mad because you was pretty and they weren't as pretty. But there are all these things that go on in your head that begin to cause you to modify how you live your life. You take a man and he's sensitive and he's emotional and he's caring and someone calls him gay and he begins to suppress that or worse begins to think that he's gay just because he happens to recognize that men have feelings too. And all of these people come to Jesus and try to do life together. And then what's worse or better, depending on how you look at it, is that then we start learning scripture. So then we start learning how we should be, right? But Words, I got water, thank you. Words have to permeate more than our memory to change us. The words have to permeate more than our memory to change us. So a lot of us can quote scriptures about certain things, but our heart don't believe it. So you go, God is love. When, then when you at home and you don't have enough money, why you don't ask God first? Because whatever you think God is, that's how you go relate to him. So we really need a lot of healing in this area. Let's look at 1 John. Wait a minute. Before we look at 1 John, let me insert another story. When Taylor was little, 
she used to write on the wall like most little kids do. And so this one particular time, her dad had told her that if she wrote on the wall again, she was going to get a whooping. So she wrote on the wall because that's what kids do. But then she decided that she was going to clean the wall up without anybody knowing. So she goes downstairs, she gets the 409, she comes back, but she's written over on the wall right above a plug. And so she is trying to clean the wall, and the, elect the 409 gets into the thing, and it shoots a spark. She comes to the room, she says this, I know you told me not to do it, and you probably go get me, but I need your help right here. That is the indication of somebody who understands the love of a father. She's like, I tried to figure this out, but I could tell I'm probably going to kill myself if I keep going. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to come in here and I'm going to ask for some help. And I'm ready for whatever consequence comes for the help. If you mess up and you don't think you have a right to ask God for help, you don't know love. You don't know love. And because we have all been trained to be so performance-based and so competitive, we have to make sure that in raising our kids, we are not raising them with that same performance mentality. I don't want to go to 1 John. I want to go to Ephesians. I want you to think about this. Here's what research tells us. Research tells us that if you have kids that make all A's and a C, some of you are going to confirm this, that parents spend more time talking about the C than the all A's. When you do that, you teach your children to perform. Your kid in seven classes, they make six A's. And what you talk about is the one C. If you do it to your kids, just repent on the way home. If it happened to you, just forgive your kids. But I want my kids to be the best. But if you teach your kids that rewards are given from fathers because they are the best, then you teach your kids not to come to you when they're not the best. You, if you teach your kids to perform for love, no, I'm teaching them to be the best, no. You're teaching them to perform. You have to teach your kids. I believe you have the capacity to make all A's if they do. And the truth of it is you got to acknowledge that just because you are all A student don't mean your kids are. Let me, well, yeah, I, I'm preaching better than you saying amen. Just because you made A's in math does not mean math understanding is not in the D DNA code. Just because you read fast don't mean your kid run fat, read fast. Just because you, you could dunk the ball, your kid may not like basketball. The measure of our love cannot be based on the performance of our kids. If you grew up in a family that demanded performance, you think God is performance-based. That's why you think coming to church for Sundays ought to release something. 
That's why you think you don't think you don't believe that the big seed released it. You believed your performance released it. Something totally different. So God wants to heal us. Because you can't live your best life trapped in that. You can't live your best life rehearsing what they said that injured you. You can't live your best life like that. Well, I still remember what so-and-so, forgetting the past. If you work hard because of your haters, you don't understand love. No, I'm serious. This is for real. I'm not making a jab toward haters. I'm being for real. I'm, I'm saying that if we can only get your best work by telling you you go fail, you don't understand the love of God. You should need people to count you out for you to be the best. Amen. Let's look at Ephesians. One, we're going to start with verse three. Like, does anybody... Is anybody even honest enough to admit that there's some stuff in my life that I'm still carrying? That I don't want that stuff anymore? That I'm tired of rehearsing whatever that is? So you've heard my, some of you heard my story, some of you haven't heard my story. But I, I had to learn how to fight. I lived in the neighborhood. I'm not, people who think, who meet me and like, if, if you, nat if you think I'm naturally a fighter, I'm not naturally a fighter. Fighting, fighting is learned behavior for me. I'm a warrior, but I'm not a fighter, if that makes sense. So I grew up, when I was in kindergarten, when I was in first grade, I rode the bus. And I don't know if y'all had people like this wherever you grew up, but we had some neighborhood bullies. And neighborhood bullies, before the year was over, they was go fight everybody on the bus. Everybody on the bus. And it was always a pack of them. And if you had a pack, you was in good shape. And if you didn't, you weren't. So in first grade, this boy used to beat me up. That's hard for y'all to believe, right? That somebody beat me up. Like, what are you talking about? Not the person that you know now. Anyway, he beat me up so much, my grandmama took me off the bus. Started taking me to school every day. One day, in the second grade, so I made it all the way through the first grade without having to get on the bus again. So I ain't seen him. In the second grade, my mom came home early from work one morning because she worked the night shift, and she was like, the bus out there. My grandma was like, Sean don't ride the bus because so-and-so beat her up. My mom was like, what? You're getting on the bus tomorrow. Girl, I got sick to my stomach eating cereal right then. <laughs> like, I don't want to fight. I just want to read my little house on the prayer books. That's all I'm trying to do. <laughs> So I had to get on the bus next morning. On the first morning, he like, you back? I'm going to beat you up today. Oh, Jesus. Like, all day, I'm, like, trying to get sick so I don't have to get on the bus. Like, I am terrified that I am going to have to fight this boy. I'm hoping that maybe by the time I get on the bus, like, that he's going to forget. I sit right behind the bus driver because that's what people who don't want to do do. They sit, they sit behind the bus driver. 
So we're riding on the bus home. I'm looking around, and I'm like, well, I don't have any sisters and brothers. I don't have any cousins. These other people have people to help them when they fight, right? I haven't made any treaties with anybody. It's probably going to be me and him and his sister, right? So I was like, oh, I'm going to have to fight, right? So I'm like, what do I have? This is how nerdy I was. I had like a little briefcase backpack. <laughs> so I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Here's the benefit. I did. That's what I had. It was red with the little knobs. I thought, well, I, don't, I can't outrun him. What I'm going to do is I'm going to get off the bus first because people go think I'm going to run. And I'm going to stand beside the bus and I'm going to jump on him first. Like, that's my strategy. That's all I got. That's what I get, right? So I do it. But the whole time we're fighting, I'm crying, screaming, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. All these years out over there, because you had to fight them every year. Like, we, I literally fought them until I was in the eighth grade. Every year. You could talk to their parents. It didn't matter. Their parents like to fight, too. If your parents talk to them, your parents might have to fight them. I mean, it just was who they were. <laughs> to this day, if I feel that someone backs me in the corner, my first reaction is how to get them before they get me. That is not naturally who God created to me to be. That is learned behavior. Some of you got learned behavior just like that. It's the reason that your marriage don't work. Because if he strike, you like, you don't ask, did you intend to inflict that wound on me? You go, ooh, I'm bleeding. Let's go for broke. <laughs> Everybody's not a fighter, but some of you, here's your manipulation. Your manipulation is that when someone talks to you, you shut down. Because somewhere you learned that if you shut down, people will stop talking. <laughs> and so your shutdown is just an attempt, it's just another attempt not to deal with the fear that's around the situation. Some of you cry. Soon as somebody starts talking, oh, I don't deal with no, no, I got a kid like that. I'm like, you can stop crying, wipe your face, come back. <laughs> Here's what we're good at because we're naturally not our God nature, but our sin nature. We're naturally critiquers of other people's faults. So if me and Jen get into it, baby, I can dissect Jen. Let me tell you how Jen, she got defensive as soon as I said this, blah, blah, blah. But what we're not good at is saying, what, what about me that created this situation too? Because situations don't happen on their own. Amen. This is really, really important because I, the reason that I'm teaching it, I'm teaching scripture and then I'm teaching really practical things because I want you to pay attention to your interactions with people because you're not changed until your interactions with people change. That's when you, that's when you, some of you are aggressive, some of you passive aggressive. Passive aggressive people get on my nerves because they don't never say what they mean. They're like, oh, it's okay, then they go slash your tires. You're like, I thought it was okay. <laughs> I 
progressive people wear me out. But people who don't like conflict, I wear them out because I'm like, let's talk about it. No, we going to talk about it. No, we, we not leaving till we talk about it. But who are you? Are you aggressive? Are you passive aggressive? Are you aggressive at your house and passive aggressive at work? Are you a manipulator? Nobody likes to admit that kind of stuff, but when we can admit it and say, this is what I do when I'm in pressure situations, then Jesus can help us. What frees us from this? Ephesians 1. Let's look at Ephesians 1 verse 3. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. That word blessed means empowered us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Accordingly as he has. What's that word? Say, I am chosen. What does it mean to be chosen? He picked you. He picked you. So it's like you're playing dodgeball. Whenever you play dodgeball, who you want to pick? You want to pick the fastest. You want to pick the best, right? God, in a game of dodgeball, God picked you first. You his first team selection. You his number one draft pick. When you understand that you are chosen, it starts to break other stuff off your life. When you understand that you are chosen, you stop needing to compete. Free yourself. Say, I'm chosen. chosen. Like God picked me. It makes life really, really simple. I, thank the Lord, I like, this is just how I'm wired. Like, I don't need to be in the in crowd, whatever the in crowd is. I like me. I just make an in crowd. It, the in crowd is the crowd I'm in. <laughs> because I'm chosen. But because I get that you're chosen, we cool. We ain't got to be in the same group. You can always tell people who struggle with rejection. People who struggle with rejection, let me help you, I'm going to free you. People who study, struggle with rejection always know who the cliques are. People who struggle with rejection always know who the cliques are. I can identify somebody with a rejection spirit so quick because they will say, like church happened, you watch people all over this room spoke to people all over this room. But a person with a spirit of rejection will say, after church, nobody talked to me. You got, it's, it, it is a spirit of rejection. It, it comes from being told either verbally or by actions at some place that you weren't enough. Because people who believe they enough are okay whether they standing in a group or whether they standing outside the group. Say, I'm chosen. I'm chosen. It means to be selected as best. And then it says, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. What does the word holy mean? Set apart. So God has already said these two things about you. If you don't know what you call to do, if you don't know what your gifts and talents are, here's what you know. You are chosen and you are set apart. So like, even if your daddy didn't want you, God does. And even if the guy left you at the altar, 
God wants you. The other thing about being chosen and accepted, what it helps you do, is it helps you leave bad situations. People who believe they are chosen and accepted, don't let people abuse them. Selah. People who are chosen and accepted, they don't have toxic experience on the job for five years. They like, I'm going to give a chance to work this out. Lord, let me see what you're doing over here. But you know what? Um, this making my hair fall out. This can't be God. I'm about to give me another job. People who struggle with rejection will stay at a job that sucks the life out of them. Because they are so happy somebody picked them that even if it's a bad pick, they'll stay. Let's translate that to relationships. You will keep somebody in your life. I don't even want to talk about like romantic relationships. You will keep a friend that continues to prove that they are not a friend because you're so afraid of not having a friend. But when I know that I'm chosen and when I am accepted, what I am assured of is that even if I have a season right now where I don't have a friend, God will raise me up a friend because when he picked me, he had to have some friends in mind. It does not obligate me to stay with you because we got 20 years in the game. For 15 of them, you've been lying. <laughs> So I'm set apart. The other thing, too, is that if I'm set apart, I'm valuable. Say, I'm valuable. When I really understand my value, I don't need to be better than you to know my worth. You can always tell. I, I haven't spent as much time um, exploring it with men, but I'm about to start because I'm real curious about it. You can always tell women who really understand their value because a woman who really understands her value throw out compliments to another woman like it ain't nothing. She like, man, that sister bad. Girl, your hair dope. I like your glasses. Your skin show is pretty. Why? Because when I feel good about me, I ain't got to dummy you down. <laughs> You can tell people who don't view that they, this is, this go, I'm sorry. I can tell women who don't feel good about themselves by the women they hang around. You skinny and all your friends fat. You want to be seen. You want to be seen. You want to be seen. So you identify three friends that's not as fine as you, so that in the pictures, the light always come to you. Don't make them comments on people's pages today. Don't do that. I'm holy, I'm set apart. Y'all come back, we not done, we not done. We got more work to do. Cause I want you to be so self-reflective of how you're engaging with your spouse, how you engaging with your kids, how you engaging on the job. 
Like, I think there is a God confidence that says, I don't think I'm better than you, but I do know who I am. And I got a right to have everything that God says belongs to me, and I want you to have it too. I don't need you to be broke to feel good about my money. I want us to all have money so you ain't always looking at me to pay. Keep going. Are y'all learning anything? It's just real talk. Because let me tell you something. Whatever you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. Whatever you do in moderation, whatever you don't manage in yourself, it will show up in your kids. Let me tell you this the truth. This, this, whenever my kids start practicing disobedience, my first indication is to see how, to, how I'm out of alignment with God. Because whatsoever a man soweth, that's so he also reap. So it could not be possible that I'm doing what God is telling me to do, and obedience is, disobedience is just running amok in my house. It, let, let, so if you got a kid who always got something to say, maybe you always got something to say. If you got a kid who always in their feelings, maybe you always in your feelings. If you got a messy little daughter who talk about people and tell people that they ain't her friend, you should check what she hear you say when she on the, when you on the phone talking about your friends. This ain't just for women. Pastor Ellen can talk about the men whenever he come back. All right, let's go. No, this is for real. When a uh, couple, couple of years ago, when Kane was in the second grade, there was all this mean girl junk going on. The principal calls me and she asked me because, like, I don't have a lot of tolerance for mean girl stuff, right? So basically, I just told Kane to go to school tomorrow and tell the girl, um, listen, we're not friends. Stay out of my space. That's just real simple. Because to, the next step is I'm going to have to hit you and I don't want to have to hit you. So just stay out of my space. No, that's for real. That's just for real. So the principal called me and she said, what can we do to fix the mean girl problem? I said, you have to start with the mean mamas. You can't fix the mean girls until you fix the mean mamas. And the truth of it is, is that it's a lot of women, and some of you haven't had kids yet, but some of you have kids, is that here's the deal. If you were popular in school, you want your kid to be the popular one. But if you weren't popular, you want your kid to be the popular one. So what you'll try to do is make somebody be less than so your kid can be a superstar. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. We're not going to invite her to the party. She can't come to the party. You know what? I don't let my kids go to any parties where people say that. I'm like, let's just have a party in my house. All the kids can come. And as somebody who's whole on the inside, see, you, you, you can measure your own wholeness by your need to include or exclude. You can measure your own wholeness by your need to include or exclude. Everybody can't be my best friend, but I could go to dinner and break bread with any of y'all. Y'all cool with me? What you have, what you don't have, no indication of anything. So, wait, there's another one. Go back to verse Four. It says, and this other part is really important, without blame, without blame. 
This is so hard for Christians to understand. When Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, he died for all, A-L-L, all of your sins. Not your sins up to salvation. He died for all of them. This is really important because this means that God, when Jesus was on the cross and all the sins of the world went on Jesus' back, it wasn't just the sins that you have committed up until this point. It is all the sin that you will ever commit and the blood dealt with it all. That is why Jesus sees you without fault because all of the fault went on him. So the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. So it is the devil's job to remind you of your mistakes to keep you separated from what God says about you. Because if you don't believe that you are in God without blame, then when you make a mistake, you believe that you should get the full brunt of the consequences. I'm not talking about justice system. The justice system and the kingdom system, not the same. Not the same. In this country, if you commit a crime, it's consequences for it. But you can be on death row and be in full statement freedom with God. The problem is, is that we don't differentiate between the consequences that happen naturally and what God is doing to us. So people say stuff like this. Well, God got me in this situation. No. No, 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 no. Action got you in this situation. You got to tell the truth. You got to tell the truth. Like, for example, if you are overweight, that's one of my favorite ones because I'm working on my weight, right? It would be dumb of me to say, God made me eat all that chocolate cake. God did not make me eat all that chocolate cake. Nor did he, nor did he make my waist expand. What happened is I took in more calories than I expended, and the body is designed to grow when that happens. <laughs> if you have sex and you're not married and you get pregnant, that's not proof God wanted you to have a baby and you weren't married. That's called biology. <laughs> It's called biology because people, now will God help you with your baby? Yes, because he's good. But God didn't go, oh, yeah, I'm going to set you up, tempt you with him so you'll have sex, so you'll get pregnant, so I can get the glory. That's not how it happens. But if you believe that because you had a baby out of wedlock, that you don't deserve the same help and provision that God would give a married couple, then you will struggle in ways that you never should have struggled. So we are blameless. I want to end with Lamentations 3, 
I got a lot more scriptures. I'll talk about them next week. Lamentations 3 and 23. Shout, God loves me. No, God really, 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 really loves you. The truth of it is that in this world, if you mess up, most people create distance with you. Like all y'all love me now, today, right now. Most of y'all. But let's say that before this evening come out, it come out that I was in a scandal of some sort. Some of you ain't going to come back next Sunday. People create distance from you. But when God, when you mess up, God come closer to you. And that's how you always know people God sent for you. Because people who God sent for you, they like, I don't care what they saying about you. I ain't going to never turn my back on you. That's why sometimes, this hard for me to say because I don't really like this, but it's true. Sometimes you got to thank God for trouble. Because trouble show you really who God sent for you. Everybody got a crew when you're popular and everything going well. But the real measure of who your God squad is. Because your God squad is coming for you. Listen, so me and Rich, we in relationship. He is a bully and I love him. And I'm a bully and he loves me. I mean, it works together, right? So Rich, naturally, is not a conflict person. So in conflict, he kind of backs out, right? So one time, me and Rich was texting. And, you know, I was in his face a little bit. So then Rich decided he wasn't going to talk to me no more for the rest of the day. <laughs> I had done too much. So I gave him this little space. And this is what I told Rich when I saw him at church. I said, God connected us, and we rocking forever. And the next time you stop talking to me, I'm going to come where you are. <laughs> I'm going to come where you are. You better say I'm in my feelings, and I need a second. Because we family, and I don't let my family just stop talking to me. Some of you could heal some relationships in your family right now if you just said, I know you may be mad at me, but I ain't letting you go. We are stuck. We're stuck. That's what covenant means. We are stuck. That's why in the sand covenant, they will put the sand together and they say, how do you know this covenant is broken? If you can get your salt back. If you can get your sand back. When God puts people together, when God puts you with him, you can't get your salt back. So you with him forever. So you don't lose standing with God. You may lose standing with man, but you don't lose standing with God. Let's look at Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. He said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassion, which means love, what, what about it? It does not fail. And in truth, if you're going to be who God called you to be, you have to receive that love 
and, and then learn to give that love. You know when loving people get tiring? When you're trying to love them in your own strength. When you're trying to love people in your own strength. Listen, friendship love is good love. It ain't enough. Romantic love is good love. It ain't enough, though. All you people who want to get married and you think it's going to be like TV, it, that's, it's not. It's not. It, it, it is not. The real measure of our love is not the rose petals. It's can you help me when I'm throwing up. That's the real measure of our love. That the real measure of the love is not the rose petals. It, 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 is, it is not. Can, can you take my braids out? Can you fold these tiles? Can you look at this bump on the inside of my thigh? That is the measure of our love right here. what love is. Love is not the pretty part. Love is not the pretty part. Let me tell you what unconditional love really is. Unconditional love is not the newborn baby, it's the poop. It's the spit up. You know, when you really love a baby, when the baby poop on you and you don't give it back, that's when you really know you love a baby. Because when, uh, the, the, and my parents will understand this. When you see people and you don't have a baby and they talk about how the baby pooped or spit up or they was trying to change the diaper and it got all on them, you just like, no, this is not going to work, right? And then your baby does it to you and you're like, Oh, and you telling people like you're not even ashamed that your baby pooped on you. You like, I was trying to get dressed for church this morning, baby pooped all down my shirt. I mean, that is what love is. That when you don't separate from people when you see their poop. But in order to ever love like that, we really, this is our real ending right here, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, in order to ever really love like that, you got to know God love you like that. And it's so hard for some of y'all, especially people who've been goody-goody. You know who get the love of God best? People who've been ratchet like me. Ratchets understand the love of God, right? Baby, I understand the love of God because I have broken all the rules. And the ones I like, I broke a lot of times, right? But the goody-goodies, the goody-goodies struggle with the love of God because the goody-goodies do things right. they like, I made good grades. I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't have sex. Why is this not happening for me? The ratchets are like, <laughs> I didn't make good grades. <laughs> I did do drugs. <laughs> I drank. <laughs> and the Lord still helped me. God is good. <laughs> Jesus actually said it when the woman comes in and she washes her feet with his hair. She says, he says, to whom when much has been given to you, 
then much love is given. But you know what people who haven't made a lot of mistakes that you think about could do? You could realize that even if you didn't fornicate, a line fornication are the same. That Jesus didn't just go to the cross for fornicators and adulterers. That if you've ever lied, if you've ever had envy in your heart, if you've ever been disobedient and disrespectful to a parent, that all sin is the same. And let me define sin in a way that you can really understand. Sin is just an abandonment of love. That is the definition of sin. It is an abandonment, not even of your love for God. It is an abandonment of his love for you. Let's, let's paint the picture. God says to you, don't have sex until you get married, right? When God tells you not have sex until you get married, he's not out to get you. He really understands a lot more about sex than you do. He's trying to protect you. Some of you, he's trying to protect you because he already know they crazy. And he already know how bad it's going to get. And he's trying to save you from having people scaling your balcony in the middle of the night. He's trying to help you. He know. Any balcony scalers, there'll be an altar call for you when it's over. Uh, <laughs> stay off people's balconies. He knows that once he sleeps with you, he's not going to speak to you anymore. He knows what that's going to do to you. So what he says is he says don't have sex before you get married because he loves you. And in order to have sex before you get married, you would have to abandon your trust in his love for you. All right, everybody in fornicate. If you, don't, if, if you don't give, if you're not a giver, it's just because you don't trust his love. There's no way, there is no way I could say to any of my kids right now, I could say, how much money do you have? Tell you, how much cash you got on you? I want you to answer. It's not rhetorical. $20. Can I have that $20? There's no way in the world that I would ask her for $20. I could ask those kids for every dime they have. They would give it to me. And even if I didn't give it back in their hand today, what they trust is that I'm going to come through for them. So when I can't give to God, it's because I don't trust that he will come through for me. And that's because in life I have been so responsible for taking care of myself that I don't know how to let God take care of me. Amen. Listen, we actually going to stop right here. There's so much we could say about this. I challenge you to study 1 Corinthians 13. And typically when we study 1 Corinthians 13, we say insert your name. I don't want you to insert your name. I want you to insert God's name. And understand that God is kind to you. That God is patient with you. That God doesn't keep record of your right and wrong. The Bible says that God has given himself selective forgetfulness so that he can be good to you. That God literally makes himself not remember your sin so he can be good to you. So when you're talking to God about your sin, he really don't know what you're talking about. But the enemy wants to keep you in that place remembering that because it impacts your confidence. If we don't do what we're supposed to do, I mean, 
Most kids are not going to ask their parents for $100 after they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Most kids feel more confident asking after they have performed the rituals. But what you need to understand about God is that even if you mess up, God is not withholding good from you because you messed up. Your mess up keeps you from receiving good. Because your mess up causes you to separate yourself from him and try to figure it out. And if you don't see God as love, then you'll see things like that God got you living in northwest Arkansas because he's trying to keep something from you. Or God got you in this situation because he's trying to do such and such. Instead of asking God, what do you want me to learn here? What is it for me here? What do you want to do in my life? One of the questions we should always be asking God is, what do you want to free me of in this season? What do you want to free me of? If you selfish, it's because you don't trust love stinginess because you don't trust love you can always tell people who don't trust love because they like they are the people who literally know every dollar that they ever gave you they know every dollar and if they pay for something they divide it to the penny it's gonna be 17 cents you gonna get your 17 cents but people who are generous they don't rock like that and people who are generous are only generous because they trust love. They trust abundance. They trust that there is enough. So here's what I want us to do because I think this is really good. This is how we're going to, we're going to, after this, we're going to give our offering. And then if somebody needs prayer this morning, let's see who I'm going to have pray. I'm going to have Jimmy pray. I'm going to have uh, Nietzsche pray. And I'm going to have, oh, Ariana, you looked at me. You could pray. So if somebody's in college or they're young and they need a college student or if somebody just, you know what, somebody should let Ariana practice praying for them if they, you know, just give, it's good for her to get to pray like that. Um, but what I want you to do is um, I want you to just take a second. We're going to take about a minute. I want you to just ask the Lord, is there something that he wants to free you from in this season? Is there a way that your perspective is off? Is there something you think about him that's not true? Is there a character issue you have because you don't really know who you are? And then when God gives you something, I want you to write it down and then look up so we'll just know. You should write it down because people be like, I'm never going to forget what God said. You do. God, is there an area in my life that you want to change? Who got something? Like, you know, God, like, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. I'm not going to make you say it out loud. Did you get something? I know. Yeah. I want to minister to this word to you as we get ready to give. It's really this issue of poverty. People who grew up in poverty don't understand that the concept of God's love is abundance and provision as well. There is absolutely no shortage in the world because there's not enough money. There's more than enough money for everybody in the world. 
But the opposite of love isn't hate. It's fear. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. You are either in love or you are in fear. And if you grew up with a lot of shortage or you had something that happened that took everything away, it can create a very fearful mentality around provision. And so then even when God is trying to bless you and he's trying to increase you, you're fearful. Some of you are actually fearful. Hear me. Some of you want more, but you're fearful of having more. Because we either in love or we're in fear. God doesn't care how much stuff you have. God only cares that stuff don't have you. That's all God cares about. God wants to know that no matter what you have, that at any point he could ask you to give it away, and you could do it. Your poverty, your struggling, your lack doesn't make you more like God. It makes you less like God because God is all sufficient, having all grace, always apply. Uh, you, you can't help people when you are struggling. That's why you want to overflow of love. That's why you want to overflow of wisdom. That's why when you give people advice, you want to give people advice from a place of wisdom in God. You want to make sure you, you hear me. When you give people advice, don't tell people what you think. Tell people what you believe the word says. That's what love is.